New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Quantum physics has shown that we are living in a consensual reality. Our guest today suggests that however real this reality seems, the truth is that our senses are reporting back to us only a very small portion of the greater reality. Does the brain selectively filter our perception of reality through our personal histories, our beliefs, habits of mind, our prejudices? What is consciousness? Is it formed by the brain or is there an underlying reality for all of existence in a universal consciousness? Today we'll be exploring these exciting subjects and more with our guest, Dr. Howard Eisenberg. Howard Eisenberg is a medical doctor with additional postgraduate training in both psychology and psychiatry. He's also been awarded a postgraduate degree for his parapsychological research on telepathy. He's the author of Inner Spaces, Parapsychological Exploration of the Mind, and Dream It, to do it, the science and the magic, decoding reality 2.0. Join us for the next hour as we explore the plasticity of conventional physical reality with our guest, Dr. Howard Eisenberg. I'm speaking with Howard from his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Howard, welcome. Thank you so much, Justine. I really appreciate this opportunity. It's so good to have you. It's been many, many years since you've been on New Dimensions, so I'm looking forward to this. And in your book, which is so dense with information and wisdom, what I loved about it is that it's short, (laughs) you know, but potent. (laughs) is what I would say. Uh, And I I love that because you get right to the point. You just like really hit us with a lot of um, wisdom and thought and research. And in our perception of reality, we're very convinced that the external world is what it is as we see it. And you describe this as consensual reality. Uh, as a collective 
illusion, maybe? So tell us, uh, what is this consensual reality, and is there more than that? Well, uh, use the metaphor just for a moment of an iceberg. When we see an iceberg protruding above the waterline, that's only a very small percentage of the total mass of the iceberg. So what I call consensual reality, which is what we're experiencing now as we uh, have this discussion and for your listeners listening to us, is one part of reality. It's just not at all the whole part. In fact, it's a very small part. And in fact, it's somewhat distorted. We use the term consensual because in this level of reality, and I think of it as levels, we have other people and other sentient beings and, and the physical nature, which appears to be outside of us. And it's something like we sort of have an agreement on in a sense, in a way that there's no me without we. Or to use Shakespeare's you know, terminology, all of us on stage, we're about players on it. Um, so on this level, we sort of agree on a certain sense of what is real and, and, and values and interactions and what to value. Um, but again, it's somewhat distorted. And, and we know that from a variety of sources. One is the scientific discoveries themselves, which I deeply discuss in my book. But also, if you look externally at the state of the world today, it's not working out so well. We, we thought we understood reality. We, we thought we even had a, quite a level of mastery of reality in terms of being able to transmute things and, and do almost miraculous things that we are even now in this distant communication we're having right now. But that's, again, part of the illusion. When we look at what is called the materialistic reductionist paradigm of reality, which is the assumption that there's an independent physical reality externally to us, and that has been the operating assumption for the last couple of centuries in science, and most of the public thinks of it this way, but it's breaking down now. We, we thought we had mastery, but our environment is collapsing on our watch. We have tremendous extinction of, of species. We have all types of toxic chemicals in our environment affecting our physical well-being on this level. We have the imminent global climate change, which we're already seeing some of the ravages of that. We have a breakdown of society, of culture. Uh, as you know, uh, in America right now, there's a tremendous amount of divisiveness, not just a disagreement about certain uh, values or points of view, but an actual, beyond disrespect, almost hatred and, and desire to eliminate those who have a different point of view. And we look at the globe more broadly, uh, democracy itself, for example, which we used to think is a very progressive development in governance, is, is really undermined in so many different ways in so many different countries. So, again, our, our sense of the independent existing world, if we even just look at conventional news without looking at the science, it's not working. If, if we really understood how reality works, then why would we have problems right now with extinction of so many species and uh, humankind? The the here's one example too: the sperm count of men is declining all over the world, which we need for reproduction of the species on this level. Um, so, 
I look at this in addition again to the scientific information I present in my book and relating it back to, to the ancient indigenous teachings of so many different cultures, which has the similarity of saying again, this is illusion at this level we call consensual reality. There's a much deeper, more profound level of reality. And I think the divisiveness we're experiencing in society right now, which is a, to an alarming toxic degree, because we've been distracted overly by the outside world of appearances. Just like, for example, occasionally we have dreams, such as particularly when they're bad, nightmares. And when you're in the midst of those dreams, it seems totally real. And then we wake up and we realize, no, it was just a dream. In a sense, we're caught up in a collective dream. Beyond even the issue of an independent existing physical reality, even to the level of there's a solitary unity to existence. Uh, the mystics call this the oneness of the allness. So even our sense of other people is partly illusion. Howard, you have opened up with a lot of information here. So I, I want to kind of slow it down a little sure. bit, if I can. You have pointed out a lot of things and happenings around the world that are very frightening. Uh, that, that, as you pointed out, it's a breakdown, uh, a lack of cohesiveness in in the world today and as you mentioned you know the environment climate um extinction of species um the society not having an agreement you know and the local culture won't mm -hmm. even agree and out of that comes the hatred that even wants to deny others their point of view or their even beingness uh, because of possibly the color of their skin or or whatever it is or where they came from or it just it goes on and on and this is all of this is pretty frightening right now and then you're saying okay but it's not reality I mean there's another reality okay but how do how do we tap in then or how do we shift things how do we tap into that other or another reality that is more cohesive more loving more whatever it is that we would want that's that's more beneficial to life rather than the breakdown of life so help help us out here uh, as you remarked earlier, my book is unusually information-dense compared to most books. It's meant to be read very slowly for reflection. It's actually entheogenic in its design. It's like intellectually psychedelic. It's, it guides you to an awareness of different reality. So let me just say, for people in general, they can touch this deeper reality when they're experiencing love. When you're experiencing love, you're feeling a profound connection. It's, for example, like, uh, I sometimes use the term almost like a communion of souls. It's a deep, deep connection with what appears to be a separate being, except we feel a connection. We're a we, not just a me. 
that's a we mindset, not a, a me mindset, so to speak. On a more deeper uh, level, in terms of something people could actually learn to do to have a, a richer experience of these different levels of reality, meditation is one of the best pathways that way. In meditation, we withdraw our attention from the distractions of the outer world. When we do meditation, we even escape the limitations of our own ego. And we just become an observer. And back to what I said about mysticism, the one is the honest. You just experience everything just out there. And you're the experiencer of it at a very deep level through meditation. Another way, which can be fraught with dangers as well, are psychedelic drugs. Again, it, it, it opens up the brain, the mind, to an expanded awareness. And so people feel a connection, literally, with, for example, their whole environment. It's almost like you have a tactile touch sensation of what's out there right now, because you, you go to that deeper level of connection. We're going to go more into that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Dr. Howard Eisenberg, and he is the author of Dream It to Do It, The Science and the Magic, Decoding Reality 2.0. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his extensive website. It's drhowardeisenberg.com. And that's spelled out DR, just like the abbreviation for doctor, DR Howard Eisenberg, E I S E N B E R G dot com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Howard Eisenberg, and you you just, when you talked about, you said, um, like, one way to expand our mind or our consciousness might be through psychedelics or being maybe in the flow of when, like, athletes might, you know, be in that certain flow, high. Uh, Mihail Csikszentmihalyi talks about being in the flow and here in the psychedelics maybe. But what is interesting about all of that is that uh, even when we're in a high state of creativity, the prefrontal part of our brain 
is actually not very active. In fact, it's kind of turned off. Mm -hmm. So let's just talk about brain science for for a moment. And does consciousness reside in the brain? Does it create consciousness or not? That's a really important question. And to begin with, I'll point out on this level, again, as I, I think of the levels of reality, we don't have one brain. All of us human beings have three brains even though we're taught otherwise. For example, we have a heart brain. The heart has its own nervous system. The heart has its own memory system. The heart has more nerves going up to control and modify brain functioning than the brain can modify the heart functioning. Then we also have what we call the microbiome or the gut brain, the trillions of bacteria that reside in our large bowel and the colon. There's more DNA in those bacteria than in the entire human body otherwise. Those bacteria produce and secrete neurotransmitters. In fact, um, there's a popularity in psychiatry with the so-called SSRI, antidepressant medications, which affect serotonin metabolism in the brain. The reality is that 90% of the serotonin in our body comes from the gut microbiome, not the head brain. The other point I would make, uh, so that's just on that level of reality, as they say, we have it wrong. It's not just one brain. But secondly, and more profoundly, going back to the operating assumption that scientists and most people have, that it's the head brain that creates consciousness, which is totally incorrect, by the way, there's no evidence that the physical brain produces consciousness. All we have is what we call correlational data. Meaning, if you stimulate parts of the head brain, I'll use that expression, um, uh, however, electrically or, or by chemicals, or if it's damaged by a disease or an accident, it affects our awareness on this level and our external ability to do things, such as even when people have strokes, they can't talk anymore, for example, uh, in that example. But the reality is, it's not coming from the head brain. In fact, there's no theory, not even a theory, to explain how the material brain could give rise to immaterial consciousness. And I, I mean it that profoundly. Not only is there no evidence, we don't even have a theory to explain that. I think a more uh, appropriate um, explanation of the relationship between the head brain and consciousness, our, our awareness, is more like a radio receiver. It, it selectively filters out some of the information. So by contrast, again, with, with psychedelics or in meditation, where we perceive more of a comprehensive unity. Is this where our biases and our upbringing and the way that we see the world, then that's part of the filter too? Or yes. As I yes. say, our habits of mind, uh, yes. that's part of that filter system. It says, oh, Okay, we we experienced this, so we're going to filter that out because that scared us when we were a kid mm -hmm. or whatever. Yes. So part of it, yes, is physical, the the actual senses we have, you know, vision, hearing, touch. Partly that's that alone restricts what information comes to our awareness, and it doesn't just restrict it; it partly distorts and creates it. So we think that what we see on the physical realm is exactly what's out there. But not so. I mean, for example, people who are colorblind don't see colors. And yet they can be intelligent and aware. 
but they don't see the reality we see out there. I was really uh, curious. I, I was thinking as I was delving into all of this, what if it was possible for me to exchange my beingness with another person and just for a moment to see the world as they saw it? And I felt with reading all this material that I would probably be shocked at what they were seeing that was maybe so different from my reality. Does that make sense? Absolutely. In fact, a very good uh, example of this, coming back, I repeat, to this level of reality that we're talking about right now, is in terms of ideological biases. So, for example, if, if you show, let's say, uh, a video clip uh, about a particular political message, be it on the right side or the left side of the spectrum, and you show it to, to people who have that internal belief system that they are they believe in, let's say, uh, more of a Republican point of view or more of a Democratic point of view, they don't actually perceive the same message. You may think, well, it's there, it's objective. And we know that in part for two reasons, not, not just their subjective beliefs not being affected, let's say, by a contrary message. But when we record brainwave activity, different parts of the brain are activated in people who have prejudices, biases. So it shows, again, the filtering. So it actually shows a filter system. You know, going back, um, I was thinking as you were describing the different brains we have and the gut brain and the biome, uh, all the bacteria, it, it's like, oh my goodness. And I was remembering that um, I read an article about something called a bobtail squid. And it, it roams around in kind of shallow water in mm -hmm. the ocean looking for food. Mm -hmm. And it does this in the daylight. The problem is that when it does this, it produces a shadow. And so, of course, the food that it could get just scrambles away. <laughs> and mm -hmm. However, it's worked with this symbiotic relationship with some bacteria mm -hmm. that lets off a kind of light. So it has all this bacteria that lives on the bottom side of the squid. So when it moves around in the water, it's actually like a flashlight being shined <laughs> down so it, it does not produce the shadow. And I I was just so struck by this symbiosis of of life. And when you mention the gut and we say, well, you know, is that your gut reaction? What is your gut telling you? Is that what, you know, we have these expressions yes. and maybe they're very, very truthful because there's such a symbiotic relationship between our, our beingness and our own gut and the biomine that that's there. Correct. And, and even similarly, we have an expression path of the heart or, you know, or, or heartfelt feelings. Um, so again, our, our culture, our language partly references some awareness of the contribution in these areas of our body to our sense of awareness. Exactly, exactly. So, so in all of the work that you're talking about, is there a way that we can start to live in a more relaxed way, even despite all the things that are happening in the world today? 
What's your suggestion? What is the um, antidote to to being frightened by it all, or being resisting it, or being angry, or all of those things that we want to say? Oh, those people are really wrong, and and but there's nothing I can do about it, you know, and that despair. Uh, so, what can we do? We we need to appreciate again that although it seems that we're all separate from each other, from other sentient beings, from the rest of nature, that, that's illusion. It is not such. There's an expression called soul gazing, which goes back to ancient, you know, uh, Hindu writings. And we have the poetical expression, you know, the eyes and the windows of the soul. So back to your question, if we were more intentional when we encounter fellow human beings of looking them in the eye with kind of soft eyes, open eyes, I don't mean glaring, um, that alone would give us a sense of connection we don't have right now. Secondly, when we're feeling or hearing others coming from anger, that's a warning sign we're deviating away from the greater reality. Uh, you know, traditionally in the Christian teaching, God is love. And um, R.M. Buck, the, the psychiatrist who had a spontaneous mystical experience, came to, he believed, uh, an understanding realization that the fundamental connecting principle of the whole universe is love. So again, looking at his eyes and trying to come more at other fellow beings with love. And when you experience the opposite, and when you hear people spewing hatred and anger, that is a sign they're, they're off kilter. Mm. They're, they're, they're not speaking truth. They're not caring for our well-being. There was um, something when you talk about this universal mind, let's say there there is this reality that's underlying. I go back in your book and, and others on New Dimensions have mentioned the physicist, the quote from the physicist Max Planck about consciousness is fundamental. And rather than material reality is not fundamental, but consciousness. There, he, he uses the phrase, you cannot get behind consciousness. And if you stop and think about that, anything that's material, you can get behind or get besides or get above or get below. You know, uh, you can do all of that, but consciousness has no beginning or end. So I, I love that about that being fundamental but in in talking about that, then um, we're talking about a universal consciousness. And I know that you use a metaphor of like ocean. And if you could help us with that. Yes. Um, so a way of, of illustrating our relationship as apparently individual egos, individual beings to the greater reality, the whole, um, is to think of ourselves in a sense like waves which, as we know, when you are looking, let's say, at an ocean, you sometimes can see discrete waves, but they don't last. They're impermanent. They, they, some are becoming larger for a while. Some are uh, falling back into the body of the ocean. So our, our relationship is somewhat analogous, again, to waves of an ocean, because at this deeper level, as opposed to the illusion of separateness on the top, they all come out of the same base. And I, I relate this, as you know, too, to many of the religious teachings of all the world religions, but using Christianity as an example right here, 
where Jesus says, I and the Father are one, but the Father is greater than I. That was a question that puzzled me when I was 10 years old. And I remember asking my teacher about it, and they, they reprimanded me for, you know, finite mind can understand the infinite. You shouldn't ask such questions. But, but if you think of this model, if Jesus is a large wave and still part of the ocean, but the ocean collectively, God, is larger. So it's not a contradiction how one can be connected but larger. I love that. I love that, Howard. Um, I'm here with Howard, Dr. Howard Eisenberg, and we're talking about that universal consciousness and reality. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Howard Eisenberg, and you just mentioned, and I, I really wanted to emphasize what you said, because when I read this there in, in the Bible, it's like Jesus said two very contradictory thoughts when he said that I and the Father are one, and then he followed that with the Father is greater than than I. So how you know it's like one feels like he's separated from God, mm-hmm. and the other one is he's one with God. So it just just to briefly go back to that, so we get an understanding of what he was saying, or your realization of what he was saying. So again, coming back to uh, waves on an ocean as an example, when we look at it, it's dynamic. Uh, the the waveforms, although at a certain point in time may seem separate from each other, at the top, the tips of them, if you like, as time goes on. If, if we're looking at waves in an ocean, uh, some, again, waves will become still larger than they were, stirred up by currents, wind, whatever it might be. Uh, others, again, come back into the body of the ocean. So the wave and the ocean is one, but the ocean collectively is much greater than the individual wave. And we're analogous to the wave forms, right. be it as individual people and even what we call physical reality. It is part of reality, but it's only a very small, deceptively small part. So thinking about that, I'm thinking about the wave and the particle. So as an observer, maybe things are all waves or flowing or whatever, Mm -hmm. or the ocean. And then as we observe something, it becomes a particle. And that, to me, kind of indicates, okay, maybe that's when it seems as if it's material. Uh, But there's another analogy about other realities that I've observed and others have observed, and that's the disappearance of a propeller when it's moving really fast. If it's stationary, a propeller on a plane is just there it's just 
to two arms attached to a motor. But when it's spinning, you can see through it as if it, it doesn't even exist. That's right. So that's like a, a, another possibility of other realities that, that indicate another reality that might be available to us. Yes, and as you may recall, the first chapter is things are not as they seem uh, in my book. So uh, I'll take a, you know, a more conventional example, and that would be a, a fan. When a fan is stationary, you, you see the individual blades of a fan. But when the fan is turned on, especially if it's at a higher speed, you don't see the blades anymore. And that's illusion, of course. It's really there. And if you try to, for example, stick your hand into it, you know, you may be cut off or, or hurt. So it's another example of showing in more people's conventional experience that just because you see something doesn't mean you see the correct reality. And in physics, they have found that, yes, there, there's this sort of uh, wave uh, particle you know, duality uh, when we talk about examining the fundamental aspects of nature, as physicists do. But the, the, the important thing to appreciate, which is the physicists came to this conclusion, is it takes the act of human observation on this level of reality to what they call collapse the wave of probability into, yes, a discrete particle. And so, although we often think again, well, physics is the primary science, everything is derivative from it, the physicists themselves are saying the exact opposite. In fact, I find it fascinating. There's a great convergence of the findings of the physicists with the ancient mystical descriptions of reality. So, soft mysticism, it complements hard science. Not supposed to happen that way, but it does. Interesting, interesting. I know that you talk a lot about um, the dreamlike nature, and you mentioned this earlier in the interview, the dreamlike nature of the universe. And I was struck by an earlier interview that I did this year with Dr. Ellen Meredith, who is um, the author of Your Body Will Show You the Way, Self-Healing with Energy Medicine. And she talked about we're in an era of empowered yin. And she said, we have the possibility of transcending the assigned, she uses the word assigned truths and like the black and white or either or thinking. Mm -hmm. And she advised us to go into our inner compass instead and embrace that both and thinking, uh, and the recognition, and here's the important thing that she said, the inner truth can generate many diverse outer realities. That's, that's a quote from her, and it really goes along with what you're saying, is we need to go into that imaginal power of the mind, I think, is what you describe it as. So let's talk about imagination and our imaginal powers. Well, one interesting uh, relationship about imagination, what we call reality, is that all of the discoveries of humankind, and I mean you know, that categorically, everything comes first from the imagination. Uh, we have partly, as I say, deceived ourselves in the West uh, with the 
apparently uh, amazing, miraculous almost, discoveries and accomplishments from physics into thinking again that that just validates an external reality. And we honor the so-called scientific method of inquiry. Don't just assume things, test it out. The problem with, with science is that it's not independent of value or prejudice, if you like. And we call this scientism. So it's an assumption that that is the only way, the best way of knowing things. It's just an assumption. And it's quite not, as I said earlier, this is interesting convergence between discoveries of modern physics and the ancient speculations and experiences of mystics thousands of years ago all over the world. Wow, yes, yes. So you have a, a whole list of things that we can do to apply what you you might call it magic, but, but I, I know, but it's applying so that we manifest. And you have a whole list like intention, imagination, which you just talked about, belief, uh, intuition. So uh, uh, can you talk about some of these ways yes. um, that we can tap into? Manifestation is sort of a pop term, and it's in some ways uh, been given a bad rap. People think it's just woo-woo stuff. Um, uh, as I said, in part, all of the discoveries of, of mankind, be it uh, science, technology, all first comes from imagination. And there are ways to work intentionally with imagination to harness that capacity. Uh, for example, I describe some techniques in my book, such as lucid dreaming, where, where you learn that you can modify what you're experiencing and modify also, so to speak, what you can achieve by working with imagination. Manifestation, which again has had a bad rap in our culture in part, is real. And there's a technology to it, which I describe in my book, but let me give a, a more uh, everyday example of it. The placebo effect. It's not questionable in medicine that there's such a thing. So that's we sometimes call it the sugar pill. So if somebody is given a parent medication, looks like a pill or a capsule or some tonic, and have a, a belief that that will help them um, have less pain uh, or have some other benefit physiologically in the body, often it does. And it's just coming from imagination. So that's almost an everyday you know, proof, if you like, of the power of imagination, mind over matter, mind over body. Going, going back to lucid dreaming, you also talk about how the waking state is also a dream state. Yes. I, and that really, that, that really kind of hit me. Like it's not just when we're asleep at night, but no. you're talking about lucid dreaming during the day when we're awake. I, am I getting that correct? Correct. I mean, there are some cultures right now, historically, like, for example, the Aboriginal culture, which is one of the oldest ones still existing in Australia. And they believe what they call the dream time is more real than what we uh, take for reality or consensual reality. One of the exercises you have in your book is so great. When you you mentioned earlier, meditation is really one of the ways and that we can start to release the power of our imagination as we calm down our our, our mind and 
and quiet our our way of not being attached so much to our thoughts and our feelings. But you talk about a shower meditation. I love that. So say something about a shower meditation. Well, some people assume when we're familiar with meditation that it's something, you know, foreign and some esoteric or complex uh, practice. But it's really learning to take back control of your attention. Uh, we have the opposite problem in our culture right now with smartphone technology, which so many people are so absorbed in that even sometimes when they're having a meal together or whatever, they're looking at their phones, they're not looking at each other, you know, just an example of, of the extreme distraction. So in shower meditation, I, I try to, you know, present a user-friendly way that almost anybody uh, could understand and avail themselves of. As I said, with meditation, really what we're doing is we're taking back uh, control, if you like, of what we attend to instead of being distracted and controlled by others, be it for marketing reasons or whatever, to exploit us. So in the shower meditation, the simple technique is there's no thinking out of the shower. We have the expression thinking out of the box, creativity. So in this case, no thinking of the shower. You just want your awareness to be totally focused on the sensory experiences of the shower, the spray of the water, the temperature, uh, the fragrance perhaps of soap or, or shampoo you might be using. And it helps ground you from the noisiness and distraction of, of our minds to come back to a simpler sense of just awareness. I just I just love that. I love that because it's something many of us do enjoy a shower and and we can make it even more intentional when we don't bring our worries into the shower with exactly. us or our everyday thinking. And I I know that you talk about at some point about information IT devices, our informational technology, whatever it might be. And how that is actually robbing us of our ability for for memory or reflective thinking or even empathy. And you even go so far as to say it's reducing our intelligence. Uh, in just one moment, I want you to say more about that. Uh, but I do want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Howard, Dr. Howard Eisenberg, and we're talking about Decoding Reality 2.0. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dr. Howard Eisenberg. He is the author of Dream It to Do It, The Science and Magic, Decoding Reality 2.0. We were talking about how our information technology, whatever it might be, is robbing us of our ability, uh, reducing our intelligence. So I'd love for you to say something about why why you feel that that is happening. In a summary way, I'd say, you know, uh, the smarter the phones, the dumber we become. Uh, we use another analogy. Uh, if somebody breaks a leg and uh, has it surgically uh, fixed, however it might be, if, if they keep using the crutches longer than they're supposed to, the, the leg bone and the muscle atrophies and becomes weaker. So by, again, overly relying on something external, I use that example of a crutch, it actually is counter to our physical well-being. With the smartphones, to give one example, I mean, they, they can do all types of things, as we know, such as, for example, calculations and, and record all types of things, you know, uh, that we want normally hold in memory. But as a consequence, we're losing our ability to do uh, arithmetic in our minds. We're, we're losing the, the ability to be analytical, to analyze things for ourselves. When you do a quick search on Google or whatever, you're, you're going by somebody else's choice of what they consider relevant, important, and, and even perhaps accurate. And you're not using your own judgment. And this is where we get into silo thinking that it just you're just accessing just certain information and the algorithms are figuring out who you are and what you're interested in and and then they tailor it to fit you is That's what right. I understand. I mean that there's so much uh, good information on the one hand that's available on the internet but even though much of it may be of seeming value to us, and much is free, there's a cost. And the cost is our attention. Mm. That we get so absorbed in that apparent world, or that level of the world, we're disconnected from each other. We're less compassionate. We're less able to even feel empathy. And there's actually psychological tests that have shown that the uh, empathic you know, uh, level of experience of people is declining because of the internet. We know too, going back to my back in psychiatry, that there's a correlation between substantial or excessive use, for example, of, of the internet and people's mental state, their, their, their moods. They're much more likely to suffer depression and anxiety if they spend a lot of time online, particularly with social media. So there's so many examples of how it's detrimental to us. It depends how we, we relate to it. Fire itself is, is neither good or bad. Uh, on, on the positive side, it gives us light, illumination. It, it can purify uh, some of our foods. Uh, it can help us transmute things physically into more desirable substances. But again, that's just one level of it. Well, I'm thinking you mentioned in your book something I didn't know. Uh, you were talking about depression and how it's kind of rampant in society today. And in Japan, they actually have an agency, uh, 
of of loneliness uh, that really looks at people that are suffering from loneliness. Yes. In fact, uh, increasingly, uh, various population surveys in different parts of the world are showing that people are complaining about loneliness, which, again, would seem contradictory on the one hand. If, if you can connect with, for example, smartphone or internet, in a sense, to anyone anywhere in the world in just a moment of time, that, there's the illusion again. So you think, how could you be lonely? But it's not nearly as satisfying. It's a very uh, limited aspect of reality. Well, going back to what you said earlier about soul gazing and and looking in someone's eyes and really feeling some simpatico and and developing like love, this feeling your your feeling of love, it can't really happen as effectively over the internet. Uh, it, no, it just, I mean even for example, you know. I, when we do video calls uh, to connect with various people, when you look at someone's face, if you like what appears to be their eyes on a screen, they don't see your eyes looking at their eyes because your camera is not positioned in the center of your screen. Right. And if you really want to look at their eyes, you'd have to look at your camera lens and then you really wouldn't see their eyes on the screen. Right, because you're looking at your monitor rather than your camera. And it just occurs to me that up until the COVID pandemic, all of our interviews for New Dimensions for over 40 years, I mean, we're we're in our 50th year here. So all of our interviews were face-to-face, heart-to-heart. We were in the proximity of each other. And it's been a whole learning thing for me to feel connected through, because we're doing it now through Zoom. I mean, Mm -hmm. you and I, you're Mm -hmm. in, I think, Toronto, is that right? I'm in the area of Toronto, yes. Okay. uh, So you're, you're in Canada, and I'm on the West Coast, and here we are. That's magical. I'm really appreciating that. But on the other hand, uh, I'm not in your physical presence. So we're having to work to connect with each other in a very different way. Yeah. And aside from, as I mentioned, you can't have real eye contact through a video screen. There's other um, reductions in the quality of the information when we rely on that technology. For example, you can't see the flying facial expressions what you call body language, properly on a screen. It doesn't have that resolution. Secondly, there isn't perfect synchronization between the visual and the audio in video conferencing. So these are throwing us off somewhat in really being able to feel a deeper connection with somebody else. But most of the people don't know that. Exactly, exactly. Going on to another aspect of what you are really looking at it's really important to have an awareness of intention and belief. What is the importance of intention? So this goes back partly to, you know, the, the, the question of manifestation. Is it real? And if so, what's the explanation for how it works? And in my book, I actually give the instruction for somebody to be able to do that intentionally. The 
importance of intention and belief, I illustrate, I think, in chapter one, with the example from the martial arts, where sometimes uh, in classes, people are encouraged to break a wooden board with their bare hand. And normally, if you were to hit a wooden board with your bare hand, it would hurt and it doesn't necessarily break the board. But in the martial arts training, one blow, even by the children, my son did it when he was 10, even one blow will go right through the board. And there's not that sense of any pain uh, while you do it. And if you look at your hand afterwards, there's not you know bruising or fractures, worse. Uh, but the way it's done, back to your question, intention, belief, the way you break a wooden board with your bare hand is not by hitting the board. You strike through and board. So this now deals with intention. Right. And belief. And then there's another wonderful example of firewalking. Can you explain how firewalking works? Have you ever done it? No, I haven't. No, yeah, I'm not even, signing up just yet. But yeah, I haven't <laughs> but, either, but I have friends who have actually done it. Yes, it, it, you know, it, it's been popularized partly in America by Tony Anthony Robbins, uh, which he does as some of his retreat programs. But it's an actual ancient practice in many parts of the world. And so in that situation, people are walking on very, very super hot coals with bare feet, with no type of ointment or protection of any sort. And they mostly can do it unscathed. Nothing happens. They don't get burnt. Unless they have a crisis of disbelief in the middle of it. And they uh, can burn horribly. Yeah. Yeah. We're ending up here. What is your advice for this last minute of uh, our time together that you can help us in being able to tap into this? larger reality well as you know i i wrote this book because i felt called to write it my previous book half century go inner spaces was a more academic type book for credit courses to meet university of toronto but again i felt called not just because of the accumulating information in science which i describe in my book but because of the collapse of our relationship with each other and our physical world nature so my call is for people to realize we're sort of caught right now in a nightmare. It's painful. It's scary. But it's only because we have a distortion of how we're experiencing reality. We need to come back to understand there's no me without we. We need to understand the power of love. It connects as opposed to uh, fear or hatred, which disconnects us from people. I thank you so much, Howard, for being with us today. I've been speaking with Dr. Howard Eisenberg, the author of Dream It to Do It. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, drhowardeisenberg.com. And that's spelled Dr. abbreviated D-R Howard Eisenberg, E-I. S-E-N-B-E-R-G dot com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening 
to New Dimensions. This is program number 3780. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.